would ever think of that. Oh, you know what? Oh, my goodness. I left my notes in the car. It's been one of those mornings. So let me see. Shall I try? Shall I go get the notes in the car? Or shall, shall I? Um, yeah, there's some good stuff in those notes, and I won't remember it all. You give me two minutes? Okay. I'm on call this morning as two, so um, that, that's why I'm a little scattered. Okay, I'll be right back. If you will uh, look in your Bible to Luke 10, as it says here on the screen, um, and if I catch my breath, <laughs> oh, life is just interesting. Got to go with it sometimes, right? Whew. All right, we're in the, uh, Jesus is telling a really important, a very familiar story, and so as you listen to this story, I can promise you when I talk to you a little bit about what I've reflected on, it's going to be a little different from probably what you've normally heard. Some will be very same, very much the same, but some of it will be different. And it's really important for us when we read the scriptures to ask God to give us fresh eyes. Those of you that work in a, new, uh, in a place where there's a lot of people, uh, and those of you that are leaders, you probably really appreciate the new people. If you can gain, especially if they've done the kind of work that you do and they're new to your place, you want them to tell you, ask you questions. You want them to find a way to, to share what's going on and share their what they, they're used to, but also ask you questions about what's going on because they have fresh eyes. And so one of the things that we want to do is, Lord, how please give me fresh eyes every time I look at the scriptures. So let's read Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And then the lawyers answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered uh, correctly or you have, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, "Who And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to a, uh, an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, asked them, uh, or excuse me, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will pay you whatever you have spent. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. So, how many of you know this phrase? No good deed goes unpunished. How many of you know that? Now, do you remember when you learned that phrase? I remember when I learned that phrase. I was in college. I had borrowed my mentor's car, Bill's car, Bill's, Lou's car. Actually, I borrowed his wife's car. So my mentor was our pastor of the church I attended, who I was a youth minister there, and I borrowed her car. And it was, it was at night. It was a frigid night. It, had to be, it, was below, it was below 20 degrees. And while we were driving from Georgetown to Lexington on a country road, there was a stranded car, and there was a guy outside the car, and I thought, that guy's going to freeze to death. So we stopped. And uh, come to mind, they, their car wasn't running. They, were, they wanted to get to where we were, approximately where we were going. So we, we got them in the car, and then we were on their way. Well, um, these two individuals were inebriated. <laughs> One was quite inebriated. So much so that um, he regurgitated in the back floorboard of my pastor's wife's car. And so when I came home and told the story, I learned the phrase from my mentor, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> All right, so the next day, of course, I was cleaning out the back of the car, right? I was, it was my job to do that. So, um, but I was trying to be a good neighbor. And this story is about trying to be is about being a good neighbor. This is a very familiar test text, and it has a vast number of themes. Um, uh, and I'm going to talk to you about a, about four or five. The first one is I want you to notice the kindness, the mercy of the good Samaritan. Now, for him to even he would probably have known he was a Jew, and he still attended to him. He saw this Jewish man in the ditch and. He went the extra mile and assisted him, this wounded man. And, and that, that was pretty much astounding because of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, I mean, Jews and Samaritans at the time. Um, now, this is not the first time we learn uh, from the actions of Jesus or from the stories of Jesus that kindness is the character of God. Just in the Three chapters before, Luke tells of Jesus' kindness to women because not, not all men were kind to women because women were thought of more as property at the time. Jesus talked about Jesus' kindness to people who had demons, who acted strangely because of those demons. 
people who were ill, and people ran away from people who were ill because they were afraid they were going to get the illness, or in their religious rights that they might become unclean. And to children who had not come of age, and, and Jesus had a sense of kindness to all these groups, all followers of Jesus, you and me, are called to being kind. So let's ask this question. I'd like for you to reflect about this past week. How have you done being kind? Now, don't rush to an answer. Think about it. Think about the people you were in contact with this week. And were you kind to your family members? Even when they were a bit honorary, were you kind to them? How about your colleagues, those that you work with? Maybe a neighbor or a friend, if you're, if you're a worker and you have customers, are you, were you kind to your customers or to your boss, even? How about to complete strangers? Now, let me test you a little bit as it relates to complete strangers. Think about the last time you got that unsolicited call from a telemarketer. Were you kind to that person? The Apostle Paul tells us that love is patient, love is kind. Kindness is, is an essential characteristic to agape love. It is a part of that. There's no doubt that followers of Jesus, you and me, practice kindness. And when we don't, we practice forgiveness or asking for forgiveness. Second, I'd like for us to look at the, the lawyer's approach to Jesus. One commentary describes it like his actions were used as the gospel of law to keep. Like he was seeing the gospel as a law to keep. He was a professional teacher of the law. And he saw these things like they were duty, things to do. It seemed like the lawyer's only concern was how to keep ahead. You see, he was keeping score. In his life, he wanted to justify his life, the scripture said. And because of this, he is demonstrating a calculating behavior in which he is trying to discern which people groups he has to be neighbor to to be right with God. He is treating faith like a math problem or a test. And just as... Uh, or just a duty to be done, and he will get the eternal life promotion. So um, one time, I, as I am on call today, um, I'm, uh, I got called to the ICU. There was a woman who was dying, and her daughter called and asked for the chaplain because she was scared, and she thought the chaplain might help. So we started to have a conversation about her fear, and so I asked her what she was afraid of. She said, well, she says, I just, I'm not feeling comfortable about what happens after. I said, well, tell me about that. She said, well, I just don't think I've done enough. I said, oh, it sounds like you are thinking about heaven like it's a reward. You have to do so much to get there. And she kind of nodded. I said, my understanding of the Christian faith is that it's not a reward. I, I understand it to be a gift, that it's God loves us so much, he gives us that gift, and we accept it. Because there's really not, nobody can do enough to get heaven, right? So it's, but I would, I would encourage you to think of it as a gift. 
And that seemed to settle her a bit, so much so that two hours later she was asking her daughter, you know, when am I going to die? I'm ready now. <laughs> and she probably died like six or seven hours later. But many of us as American Christians live our faith, our faith life similar to this lawyer or to this woman who was in the ICU. When we see, when we're thinking this way, that we have, we're looking for a reward, we, when we see God in this way, like the lawyer, like actually the priest and the Levite are the same way, because when they saw the man in the ditch, they saw a duty, and they saw, wait a minute, if, I, if he's dead and I touch him, then I'm unclean, and they don't want to be unclean. So it was, about, it was more about ritual and, and rites, not about humanity. And taking care of them. And so they were seeing the world and God in a very small way, like we were talking about with the children today, in a very small way. And so and when we think in a small way, we think in small people groups, right? But God has the whole world at his hands, and God cares about the whole world. So how are we similar? To the lawyer, to the priest and the Levite, maybe to this woman. Um, as you can tell, they're after me. So, um, how do we divide up those who deserve our care, earn our care? How do we calculate the advantage uh, when we are trying to attend to someone? Ask yourself this question. And I had to ask myself to this, and I didn't get a favorable answer. <laughs> so um, when, when, when someone does not say thank you for the kindness that you give to them, does that irritate you? And it does me sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. And when it does, it reminds me that... Because I realized that if this is the case, that the thank you was, was really my reward. I wanted a reward for that, that behavior. And, uh, uh, and if I'm doing that, that's not a free gift like the free gift that Jesus gives me. It also reminded me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So whenever you give your all, give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the street, so that they may, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. So in a real sense, if we're looking for some something back when we do our, our kindness, um, whatever that back is, is that is the end of that issue. It is. But God, it says, it's so much more, so much broader. And that goes into our third point. Uh, one of the commentaries, uh, Matthew Skinner, said, authentic love does not discriminate. It creates neighborly relationships because by its nature, it meets the needs of others. You can say the same of agape love does not discriminate. It creates neighborly relationships. Because by its nature, it meets the needs of others. The true test of this, a love that does not discriminate, Jesus told us about. So listen to him. This is in the Sermon on the Mount as well. 
He says, you have heard that, uh, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. And he may make his make well, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you know that there is actually a real blessing in loving your neighbor? There is actually something that's essential for your and my holistic spiritual life when we love our enemies. Richard Rohr says it this way. He said in in the spiritual life, your enemies, your enemies are your best friends. That's why Jesus makes his most daring commandment that you must love your enemies until you allow the enemy at the gate to come in, allowing the not me to enter your world. You'll never be able to face your sin, your dark side. People who turn you off People who turn you off, people you're afraid of, have a message for you. We reject and hate our own faults in others. I'm not saying you have to go out and become best friends with them, but you should put up your antenna. They're triggering something within you. You need them. Our enemies. You know, the people, and the truth in this is that the people that you and I struggle the most about with, the ones that we have, we might call our enemy, are the people that have some trait in them that we don't like in ourselves. And if we, if we learn to love them, we'll be able to love ourselves and with that trait that we don't like about ourselves. That enemy within us. This kind of love, agape love, of loving your enemy, the ones outside of us and the ones inside of us, is only possible when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Our humanity has the capacity for it, but we need the prompting of something outside of ourselves, the Holy Spirit. It comes as we are able to see the big picture with God at the center of the world, when we can see with God's eyes, we do not split people up into tribes, good or evil, good or bad, with differences. But we are able to see that all are brothers and sisters of humanity and are to be cared for. One of the commentaries told the story of a, a Palestinian boy that was shot by an Israeli um, and the boy ha uh, was 12 years old, and uh, the Israeli thought he had a gun. It was a toy gun, and so they took the boy to the hospital. It happened to be an Israeli hospital. Uh, after a couple of days, the boy was brain dead, and the mother uh, consented uh, to his donating his organs, and all all his organs went to Israeli. And when she was asked about it, she said, My son has died. Maybe he can give life to others. And she did not discriminate to others. 
Now, the fourth thing is that this parable is really a scandal to those who heard it. The lawyer could not even bring himself to uh, say, the Samaritan who showed him mercy. No, it's the one who showed him mercy. Biblical scholar Amy Jill Levine asked this question, or asked us to imagine this, and um, it was really a, a tough thing to imagine. Um, but I, I want to share it with you. Maybe you can, um, your, your imagination is better than mine, but uh, it's a very poignant statement about this imagination. It's, it was, she asked, she says, so imagine that we're in the ditch and we're dying. So who is the person or the people group that would come and save us that you would rather die than be saved by that person or that people group? Hopefully none of us could think of something either. <laughs> I couldn't think of a people group. But there are people around the world that have that kind of hate that is inbred all their lives. The enemy helping us. Have you ever thought about the enemy helping us? So in a real sense, the Samaritan was considered an enemy to the Jews, right? And so, and he was the helping one. Well, have you ever thought of God being your enemy? I just thought of this. God is the enemy of my selfish desires. My desire to be in control of my own life. God is the enemy of my favoritism, my jealousy, my covetedness, my greed, my gluttony, and the list goes on. All these things that I struggle with. And there's another way to think about this as well. And Roy brought this out. Think about, because most of the time people think that Jesus is the Good Samaritan, right? Bringing compassion to his people. But sometimes he, he flips it and he says, think about Jesus being the one in the ditch. He's calling on us to attend to him, calling on our compassion and to convert our hearts, to melt us with love and neediness. This is what Roar writes. He said, the man lying on the, on the side of the road is is the one doing the converting. He is the one who forces the new agenda, the whole new agenda, who takes your head off, shakes it, and turns it upside down, puts it back on and says, that is what reality means. Now, before you discount uh, that Jesus is the one in the ditch, think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25. Whenever you took care of the least of these, you took care of me. So as we finish up, James Wallace says, I believe that this story is about people who understand that they're on a journey. Uh, not just from the womb to the tomb, but from birth to rebirth. From Partial life to abundant life. So think about this, Mark. I was I was thinking about it. Or those of you that really use your GPS, think of that. If we had a spiritual life GPS, right? And so it had on there one of the, one. It had several monitors of things. So one is chronology. You know, like I'm 60 now, and so I'm over here on the right side. 
close to the end, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and then, but it also had spiritual life and the depth of our spiritual life. And are we acting like more like a 16-year-old in our spiritual life? Or do we have something that's in the mid-30s? Or do it, is our spiritual life have some depth to it? And one of the ways it would know it, one of the indicators in the software would be to say, okay, how is he loving his neighbor? Is he able to love his enemy? Is he trying to let go of that angst and frustration and that hard feeling about them? And pray, is he praying for his enemies, that, that GPS, that we're on a journey? Where would you be if you, if you had a GPS that would say, where your spiritual life is right now. And, and one, of the, one of the monitors on it, one of the software indicators on it was, was, was calculating where you and I are as it relates to loving our neighbors. Where would we be? There's no doubt our calling is to love our neighbors, even our enemies. And it can only come authentically from as we are infilled with the Holy Spirit, you and I will probably not be able to love much more than we feel loved. And the more we understand the love of God, the, the, the scandal, the humiliation of the cross, that Jesus, the, who, who is God incarnate, allowed himself to go through that, for you and me, that kind of love. When we can begin to grab, get, get a sense of the depth of that love, it begins to transform you and me in ways. And we'll be able, then we'll be able to see, we'll be even surprising ourselves. Lord God, I didn't, I didn't think I would ever do that. But it's not me anymore. It's God's love through me that moves us. That's what we're calling for. It's calling you and me. God's calling you and me to love like that. Our enemies. Those that are on the people groups outside that, that we might not. And the people that we struggle most with. A couple weeks ago I told you that story about Abraham Lincoln. That I was supposed to call you to great, do great things, right? So you and I are called to love people who are the hardest to love for us. That's a part of our life. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you. We have heard this story of the Good Samaritan. Lord, it is an amazing story of love and kindness uh, where the enemy is the one who is doing the love and kindness. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to love, even love our enemies, to love all those who have need that are in front of us. I thank you, Lord, that this church works at that through the closet, through our youth and through our children's ministries, uh, our food closet. Lord, there, but each and every one of us individually needs to ask ourselves this question because we are the church when we leave this this room. And Lord, so help us. Let us love in your name. Let authentic love always seeing neighbors by uh, naturally going to need, trying to find a way to help them. With your help, Lord God, we'll be able to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is...
472. 